Football systems check. Microphone. Check. Record enabled. Kate. Check. Michelle. Check. All systems go. I repeat, all systems go. We got a problem. We got a Copy. We have ball blast. I repeat, we have ball blast. Ayo! Welcome into the Ball Blast Podcast, everybody. I am your host, Kate. And I'm Michelle. And we've got an exciting show for you today. We are going to continue on east. We don't want to stop in the middle. No Midwest for us. We are going to continue on uh, over to the NFC East. Last week we did the NFC Wild West. I'm happy you can make yourself giggle. You're like, we're not stopping in the Mideast. <laughs> Midwest. Midwest. <laughs> I'm glad you can make yourself giggle. Oh my goodness. What is I always up? wondered why we don't consider anywhere in the U.S. the Mideast. That, that is a great question. Because they call Cleveland, where we used to live, the Midwest. Guys, it's not west at all. It should be called the Mideast. It's in the middle of like the eastern part of the middle of the U.S. Ah. It's always bothered me. Sorry. I can imagine why that has bothered you so much. That is a travesty. It's just why have a Midwest if you don't have a Mideast? Just have a Mid, then, if you're not going to separate them anyways. All right, everybody. Now uh, we would like to announce that we formally live in the Mid. Yeah. It's not a roast beef sandwich, Michelle. We don't live in a roast beef sandwich. Anyway, anyway, this is this has gone on for far too long. You guys can find uh, all of our work over at ballblastfootball.com. We, in case you have not heard or listened to our recent show, have recently merged with the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Crew, which is an awesome, awesome group of guys. Matt Okada, Matthew Betts, John Helmkamp, uh, like just such a good group of dudes. Uh, we're going to be heading over uh, content all for all of us. Our whole team over at BallBlastFootball.com. It's been a constant stream. It has been. If you have not gone and checked out our work yet, go check out the awesome site that Kate built. It does not look like one of us built it. It looks like a professional did it. Good yeah. job. That that lady over in London wanted uh, $1,300. <laughs> lady in London. Oh, thanks for saving us money. Can we get into the news? Because that's what I always wait for. Let's do it. Breaking news. Breaking news. I think the most breaking news has to be the fact that it almost sort of sounds like we're progressing towards an NFL season, maybe. We're 50 days away from kickoff. That the seems first game. like too few days. I actually was felt like it's sooner. I feel like we just have one month, but it's like, it's a little over a month, so it's 50 days. It's still too far away. And no, it feels too soon because, I mean, it, football's always too far away. Yeah. It could be tomorrow and it's too far away. But it doesn't feel like we've had enough time in training camp and all of this. Like, well, we, we haven't, haven't had yeah. any off-season program. Like, <laughs> I know. They're supposed to be starting training camp next week. We'll see if that kicks off. I know. I think players are fighting for it to start up a little bit slower than planned. They want... You know, they want to be safer. So they agreed to a couple terms where they're going to be tested every day until uh, it's under 5% uh, that they're testing positive as a group, and then they'll go to every other day. Let's hope it goes well. I mean, it just kind of seems like they're just kind of winging it. I mean, the NBA has somehow... In a bubble. Some- in and a bubble, the NBA's figured some stuff out. The so. NFL's not in a bubble. They're well, just kind of going for it. But yeah. one thing that they may have agreed on, it's not official yet, but the NFL has offered the NFLPA to play zero preseason games. So they really wanted to play one or two. The NFL did. But I know the players Gotta wanted... Gotta get that money. The players wanted to play zero. So if they offered them zero, I'm guessing that's going to be finalized. How is that going to affect players? Like, I think the biggest effect will obviously be on rookies. Yeah, I mean, I think the nobody is going to be affected here that it, it truly, uh, you know, it, there's no roster decisions that we are looking at for our fantasy football teams that I think are going to be 
majorly affected other than the fact that I'm not drafting rookies early. Um, as soon as this news broke, I went into my redraft rankings for the season. I bumped my boy Keyshawn Vaughn down. I, I bumped all the rookies down just a peg. Because yeah, you, you have to, because if they're going to have no game time, I know that they should still have training camp, right? Like training camps should still happen without preseason games. Maybe they'll have some more practices. But I even think that for training camp, I think they're going to be rotating players in a little bit more slowly. It's not like they're all going to show up at the same exact moment. So that's something also to consider because are they like which players are they going to rotate them first is it going to be the stars or is it going to be the bubble players or like how are they how are they going to make that work well we'll never know but i'm just talking about game time it like you said i cannot see a world where we're in week one and these coaches with vet running backs, because most of these rookies have vets in front of them that are capable starters. They're not terrible. Like, they're very capable starters. I can't see a world where the coach is like, let's throw in this rookie. He has no game experience. Let's just throw him in a bunch of times this game. I think they're going to slowly get them acclimated to the NFL, and it's going to take many more weeks than we're used to for rookies to actually get that playing time where they're going to make that impact in fantasy and help you out. Like, if we're looking at the Tampa Bay Bucks, we're not Ronald Jones fans, but there's no way Bruce Arians is just going to throw in Vaughn. Like, Ronald Jones is a capable starter. I think he gets those carries. Same with Damian Williams. We'll see on on Johnson and DeAndre Swift are a little bit closer there. Marlon Mack, like, he's going to get the first touches for sure. And then even Devin Singletary. We love Zach Moss, obviously, but Devin Singletary is more than capable of taking a big workload in those first few weeks. Even an indie for... You know, you would think that, all right, well, there's some snaps to go around for Jonathan Taylor. Now, obviously, he will be involved. All right, Jonathan Taylor is my favorite running back in this group. But so Marlon Mack, he's more of that first, second down guy. And then you have Naeem Hines, who comes in for third down because that is his natural role. He's very well liked within that offense. I I just I don't see a, a reason why they would just force. Jonathan Taylor into carries. The only player I really think has a natural pathway to a role because there's no one really playing this role on our team is Zach Moss. Zach Moss and Cam Akers. So we'll see if Daryl Henderson can step up. Now speaking break- of Cam New her Cam Akers, there's there's some there's some news there. Uh we we got a little tidbit from Sean McVay. I'm gonna do my best, Sean McVay. Ugh. It's we've too early got, for this. We've got four backs that we all feel like are NFL legitimate. He's not calls. Southern. We got. He four has a very backs. deep, raspy voice. We've got four backs. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, he in the recent podcast or something he was on, he said that he has four backs that he feels very confident are legitimate starting caliber backs. Four backs. And he liked the way that Shanahan. Uh, you know, his style in San Francisco, how he uses his backs with who is who has the hot hand. And that's kind of how he wants to approach it. He doesn't want to have one running back that they're counting on at all time. He wants to use them all. Now, I think he just kind of brought up John Kelly to be nice. I don't really <laughs> think this is going to be a four running back rotation, but I do think it's going to be Henderson Akers and Malcolm Brown in some sort of fashion. Now, maybe one of them looks better than the other one game and they have the hot hand or maybe one does pull away from the other by mid-season but I don't think we know if that's Akers or not it could easily be Henderson who had just the same amount of hype that Akers had last offseason we have to remember that rookie running backs behind elite running backs do not play very often like ever and and to be fair Kyle Shanahan once he found the right running back in 2019 he played him, you know? Your most hurt love. Your most hurt love is too much. Yeah, once Tevin Coleman got hurt, he played most hurt. No, no. Uh, I know. You, I'm just messing oh, with you. Relax. Don't, don't, don't even. We just left the NFC West, and if you don't behave, I will take <laughs> you back there. Moving on. Uh, Devonta Freeman signed an agent. Drew Rosenhaus, the big, the big guy. The big guy. And Drew came out right away. 
and said, we want to work out a deal in the immediate future and we are open to any team. He said he's healthy, he's in shape, and I'm on a mission to have him give a team a lift in late July. So he's expecting him to sign like now because late July is right now. Now, there's not a ton of teams that make sense for Devonta Freeman. I know some people have him linked to Philly. I think Philly is a great fit. You only like it because you're trying to say that Miles Sanders is is going to have competition. We both love Miles Sanders' talent, and we would love to see him in a workhorse role, and he could handle it. So I hope that Freeman doesn't sign I'm just him. saying, so when we, okay, my argument against Miles Sanders, there's always been a running back by committee. Why are we expecting different? Anyway, I'm going to get into this more later. Okay. This is the NFC East, so it's it's appropriate. I think we're all sweating. Any of fantasy, any of the fantasy running backs that we have on our team, specifically for Dynasty, because that's what most of us have right now in July already. We don't want Freeman to sign with the team. Get out, man! Yeah, we don't want him to sign with any team of our beloved fantasy running backs that we already have. I'm very worried that maybe the Bills would be interested in him, and they already have Singletary and Moss. Like, let it be. What about the Pittsburgh Steelers? No, they have Connor. Like, let's not ruin that with Freeman. He's way, I, I think, way worse. I think the Steelers could use Freeman more so than the the Bills. Okay, I don't want him to sign really anywhere. Maybe the 49ers and then ruin your Mostert love. Well, but let's not. That one makes sense. Let's not forget. I, I mean, Kyle Shanahan already brought the mistake of bringing one running back from Atlanta over, do you think he's going to make the same mistake twice? You know what's an interesting one is the Bucks. If Vaughn's not Woo. up to speed yet as a rookie, We've maybe bring in Freeman. Yeah, that could be interesting. Anyways, we'll see where he signs, but that could have some big impact. He's not... I don't want to own Freeman anywhere because he's not very good, but he could ruin another running back for us, which is just terrible for fantasy. Oh, absolutely. And if he goes to a team where maybe there's an injury, which we do have to consider, especially given this, um, you know, altered offseason program, the fact that we're not going to have those preseason games, which are usually sort of that way for them to start to acclimate to starting snaps and, and NFL game time. If we don't have that, we might be seeing more injuries. And that could absolutely make Devonta Freeman really late round value if he just starts to see snaps i but even when he plays do you want to play it's it's gross no all right can we let's move into our main segment all right all right we're going to be talking about the nfc east today so before we get into the nitty-gritty our sleepers our league winners all that good stuff let's do some quick hits all right so we don't need in-depth analysis because these are guys we already know right Let's talk about the elites. Saquon Barkley, is he running back one, two, three, or four? There's no way he falls behind running back four, FYI. No, he doesn't fall behind four, but I do think there's a question about two. So CMC is the clear-cut running back one for me. I'm not getting cute there and putting Barkley. I do think there's a question at two. I have Elvin Kamara over Barkley in PPR leagues. Now, if that goes to standard or half, PPR, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for me. I would probably put Barkley or Zeke there, but I still think Zeke should be in the conversation too for two and three. When you're looking at Barkley, CMC, Zeke, I think that's very fair to have him in any order. I yeah, I'm not I'm not debating it. He's my running back too, but like you said, all of these guys have elite talent and it's so weird that all of these guys are just in the NFC. They're just hogging all of the good running backs. Yeah, and I do have him as my running back four in PPR. Okay. Because, and also, he doesn't have a lot of scoring opportunities because the offense isn't as good. So when you're looking at... The offense what, should absolutely be better this year. It should be better, but when we're comparing him to Zeke, who gets a massive workload, it's using the passing game like pretty similar to Barkley, actually. It's not like Barkley's used this whole ton. I know he started off his NFL career with a ton of targets, but those have kind of declined over the last year and a half. And then the scoring opportunities aren't the same as it is in Dallas. Like, Zeke just has more scoring opportunity. I, 
if I was in a draft today in the two spot, I'm taking Ezekiel Elliott. I'm not saying that Barkley can't end in front of him. I just think it's going to be super close, and Zeke has a safer safer outlook. Okay. I think that's totally fair. Um, how about Amari Cooper? Is he a wide receiver one for you? So... He is a wide receiver one for me in my projections. I think the real question is, if you finish a draft, do you feel comfortable with Amari Cooper as your wide receiver one? Like, he's your top guy that you plug in every week. I would feel better with him as my two, obviously. But I I think I feel okay with Amari Cooper. You can go running back, running back, and rounds one and two. And then round three, grab Amari Cooper. I think I feel good about that. Yeah, if you if you come out of rounds one and two with two elite running backs and Amari Cooper, I mean, he's obviously got the upside there. It's more so the consistency that I think is, you know, obviously his bigger concern. He's ranked as my wide receiver 11 right now, which I think is very, very reasonable. I think consistency will probably just be the biggest factor in whether or not he wins you weeks because he does do that thing where he absolutely explodes all over your opponent. Yeah. And then he doesn't. He was a little bit more consistent last year until his injuries started to pile up. I have him as my wide receiver seven uh, for total points at the end of the year. Now, like you said, a lot of that has to come down to his massive game. So it's going to always make him look better than he actually is, and that's why it's harder to decide if you feel comfortable with him as your wide receiver one. It's kind of like owning a Mike Evans, where you never know what kind of week it's going to be. Either like it's going to be fantastic, or it's going to be pretty bad. You could be walking on sunshine. But he had a lot more of those 70, 80-yard games last year. I think Amari Cooper is turning into a more consistent player. Now he does have another uh, great wide receiver to compete against. With C.D. Lamb there, he already had Michael Gallup, who we love. So there's a lot of competition, but, but I still think Amari Cooper is the main guy in Dallas. C.D. Lamb should absolutely help to open up some coverage for Amari Cooper. You cannot leave C.D. I don't care if he's a rookie. You cannot leave C.D. Lamb uncovered. Yeah. He's that good. I agree with you. And so I have Amari Cooper pretty high, like really high. A little bit nervous about that. But I, I do think my strategy will probably be running back, running back, because it's just those top running backs matter so much. And then to grab a, a guy like Amari Cooper or Adam Thielen that you can grab in the third as my wide receiver one. How about the guy throwing Amari Cooper the ball? Dak Prescott, he, we were on him all of last offseason. Everybody said, ha ha, you have him ranked in the top ten. Oh, it was clickbait because we had Dak Prescott. Clickbait. Never finished outside the top 10. Yeah, and his entire career, Dak Prescott, has never finished outside the top 10 in fantasy points for the quarterback position, but no one wanted to believe it. And then Dak had an amazing fantasy season. He was Top five. Yeah, I think he was top three by the end of the year. Now you add in another weapon for him with CeeDee Lamb. Replace Randall Cobb with CeeDee Lamb. That's just a a beautiful thing. I... Dak Prescott's going to be going too early in drafts for me to select, but I think he's a good option. I do. I I like the late-round quarterback. We always talk about that. But Dak Prescott, he... I, I don't like him as much this season because of the fact that he doesn't carry that same value. So I would rather look towards the end of the draft what running or what quarterbacks like a maybe a Daniel Jones yeah. who has... Similar rushing upside, not the same rushing floor, but it's somebody else that could be that potential like high value guy in the late rounds. I'll, I'll search elsewhere. Uh, last but not least, Zach Ertz, Mister Elite Tight End himself. He's still the only guy in Philly. Yeah, if you're going to take a tight end early, it's really hard to spend a second-round pick on a Travis Kelsey or a George Kittle. No matter how great they are, it's just hard to waste one of those early picks on a position that you only need one of them because you can you know, figure out how to fill that role well, throughout the, the year. Well, because the garbage of garbage is tight yeah. end six. But so. if you want to grab a tight end early, Zach Ertz isn't going as early as them, and I'm not as high on Zach Ertz as those tight ends, but we have a yeah another season where Zach Ertz is going to get an insane 
volume of targets because they still don't have any wide receivers. Yes, they drafted Jalen Rager in the first round, and I'm very excited about his potential and his future. It's going to take a second for him to get acclimated to NFL. He was more of the raw prospect, and he has a super high ceiling, but I think his floor and his rookie season could be a little rough. It could take some time. Deshaun Jackson, we'll see if he can stay healthy. Elshon Jeffrey isn't planning to be ready by the beginning of the season. And also, even when he is ready, we'll see if he can plan to stay healthy. Yeah. So I think Zach Ertz is going to get 120 targets again, most likely, and be great for fantasy. So if I'm going to take a tight end early, I would just hold out. I'm not going to take the Kittle or the Kelsey or the Andrews going before and just take Ertz, who's going to see a ton of volume yet again. And that's when he's his best self. When he's he actually definitely... has competition for targets, he's just a middle of a tiered tight end for fantasy, like we saw in the beginning of last year when they actually had some weapons healthy. And then once they all became unhealthy again, like every year, Ertz broke out. Yeah, I, I definitely think that if you are looking at one of these top tier tight ends, Ertz is easily the best value out of all of these guys. Well, not to mention Tyler Higby. He's definitely the best uh, value. But Ertz is much safer. You know his role in this offense. You know he'll probably be the focal point of this passing offense. And you can't say that for Higby. So like you said, he's the best value at the top tier of these tight ends. Hey, everybody. Before we get into today's topic, I want to talk to you for a second about the Tiny Whiteboard Workouts podcast, which I need in my life, Michelle. We are just about to get a new treadmill delivered so we can start working off that quarantine 15. I know some people say quarantine five. No, it's it's the quarantine 15. Uh, this is a podcast about health and fitness for the everyday athlete co-hosted by personal trainer John Williams, strength and conditioning coach Nate Garcia. They talk about health, fitness, learning how to run, how to fix injuries, optimizing your athletic performance, but for everyday people like me and you. On Monday, August 3rd, they will be releasing an awesome episode with the anti-iceman Gary Rinal on why you should never ice your injuries. I'm going to need this podcast because if you guys haven't been keeping up, I am constantly injured. I am currently sitting here with an ace wrap on my wrist because I sprained my wrist. Literally have no idea how that happened. I sprained my ankles. I'm going to need this advice. So I can't wait. I'm going to be tuning in Monday, August 3rd. Don't miss it. The Tiny Whiteboard Workouts Podcast. Find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Don't forget to tune in. All right, Michelle, should we kick this off on a positive note? Always. Always? Oh, oh. sorry, I forgot you were the more positive person. I'm Mrs. Positive. (laughs) You are Mrs. Sunshine and Positivity. Let's kick it off. Let's talk about the NFC East, your candidate for league winner. So this is hard because we're not going to choose the obvious ones. We're not going to choose the Barclays or the Zeeks. My my candidate is definitely Saquon Barkley. Yeah, exactly. He's a league winner. (laughs) So we're digging in a little bit deeper here. We don't want to make it too obvious. You already know to draft those guys. So I'm going with Darius Geis, running back for the Washington football team. Interesting. This is a little bit harder to predict what he'll do when he finally has a workload, when he's finally healthy. Because in college, he wasn't known to be this injury-prone running back, but he had a really devastating injury in his first ever preseason game as an NFL player, which has really held him back, that ACL tear, and then he had an infection. It just, you know, it took longer to to get healthy than it was supposed to. And then he finally comes back last year, has a couple issues with his knees again, and then sits out again. But there's been a lot of professionals that we respect that have said it may have been a blessing in disguise that he had those injuries last year because it allowed the ACL to fully heal. And now we're two years away from the ACL tear. He should be completely healthy. So far in the offseason, you know, he's posting videos. Those are whatever, but it's good to see that he's healthy and that he's running and that he's cutting. So I, I trust his health this year. 
We have Ron Rivera now as the head coach, who I trust a little bit more than what we've had in the past yeah. uh, with Gruden there. And he's had some very productive running backs on his team overall. I've heard of uh, Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, just just a little bit. You've heard of him? I've heard of him. Yeah. And then Jonathan Stewart before, D'Angelo Williams. Like, those were decent running backs. So he does know how to make a running back success- successful on his team. Now, it is a crowded backfield. When we look at their backfield, we have a lot of running backs there, but a lot of just, like, ugh, like, not good ones. So we have Adrian Peterson. He's 35 years old. Like, I don't want to say Adrian Peterson's not good because he's really held up over these years, but there's only been two running backs since 2000, the year 2000, that have had more than 50 carries in a season that they're 35 years old, and that's Frank Gore and Emmett Smith. And in both of those years, it was really bad for them. They averaged about 3.5 yards per carry. Frank Gore had, in both of his years, over 35 years old, around 150 carries. Emmett Smith is the only running back at 35 years old with more than 200 carries. So if there is a running back that can do it, it is Adrian Peterson. I just think history tells us we shouldn't be betting on that. And yes, Adrian Peterson looked fine. Like his overall stats look fine at the end of the year, but he just doesn't have that exciting breakaway potential that a team needs to continually move the ball. Uh, And then we're looking at other guys that are just kind of pointless. I mean, we have J.D. McKissick. He's never been anything in his NFL career. Peyton Barber, he's not a thing. They got rid of Chris Thompson, which is really good because he was the second most targeted uh, player on that offense last year, which is mind blowing because he only Plenty played 11 games. He only played 11 games, and I feel like he didn't really play at all, but somehow had the <laughs> second most targets on that offense. And yet he played so much. <laughs> they drafted Antonio Gibson, which I thought was very early for them to draft him. I think they got him in the third round. Only had 33 total carries in college. Didn't have that many more touches. He was really a wide receiver, but he wasn't used all that much as a wide receiver either. But the interesting thing is that after the draft, they did come out to say that, no, they drafted him as a running back. Yeah. He's which never... I don't I don't love that. And even if you plan to use him in that sort of Chris Thompson role, for me, I... Ugh, he's not a typical looking... running back. He's... All of his snaps were out of shotgun... He never really had a deal with what actual running backs have to deal with and what you have to be prepared for. So if we want to talk about a limited offseason, he cannot be used as a full-time running back. No, but it, it just makes me wonder. It, the, the volume of running backs that they've brought into their offensive system, they signed Peyton Barber, J.D. McKissick, like... It is so crowded there. You brought Adrian Peterson back. You, you could have cut Adrian Peterson. Or you like you, you don't need to bring him back. But I think any other offseason, Adrian Peterson probably would have been cut. But because this year there's so much chaos, I think he makes the team. Uh, just for that veteran presence, someone that you can rely on. Uh, but the whole, like, my whole question for them is just why are there so many bodies there if you are, are trusting that Geis is healthy that like they I brought in all these bodies a long time ago right these are all bodies that you can cut in camp they're not paying them anything they can cut them all besides Adrian P- I like I think the roster will be Adrian Peterson Geis and Gibson, and maybe Bryce Love as the fourth running back. Like I would not be surprised if McKissick and Barber um, were gone. But we also should expect these rosters are going to be much larger. I think they said that they might up it to 80 players because of COVID and the you know dealing with that. So maybe all of them can make it, but I don't expect them to be a part of the game plan. And if we're going to look at his average draft position, he's going around a lot of other guys with huge question marks. I mean, he's going around James White. You know that offense switches out the running back every other play. Like, how much work will he have with a new quarterback that's not Tom Brady? Ronald Jones and Vaughn, he's kind of going right in the middle of them. Who gets the work there? Damian Williams, does his job get stolen by Clyde Edwards-Hilaire by week five? J.K. Dobbins, does he even see any time? Because Mark Ingram's in front of him. Like, probably not. So these are the running backs he's going around. And I think that's completely fair because Geis 
has a shot at actually taking over a backfield. He was drafted to be this team's workhorse back. He has that talent. He was uber talented in college. He can be used in the passing game. He's very good on the ground when healthy. So I'm excited to see what guys can do finally in the NFL in a healthy season. And he has the most potential going right here. He could be a steal and you don't have to pay up for him. I, I definitely agree that around these particular players that he's being drafted with, I, I think he definitely has the highest upside of this group. But um, I, And I think this just sort of comes down to my philosophy. I'd rather get those earlier running backs and then find the – just my philosophy, I'd rather find the, the value of a wide receiver around these rounds. I agree with you too, but I have found myself going running backs early, taking some wide receivers in the middle here, and then coming back to this running back spot – where Geis or, you know, Cream Hunt's going a little bit before this or Mostert. Like, these are running backs that are being undervalued that can be difference makers and can be actual lead backs on their team. And those are the guys I want to take a shot on as my running back three because you don't have to count on them or running back four. Uh, But if they do hit what we're going through right now, they would be a league winner. Like, if you draft Geis where he is and he gets the full workload, he is a league winner. Yep. Well, speaking of league winner, uh, very odd that we actually have two Washington football team players yeah. as our league winners. Did because not expect the, the that. Washington's not a league winner. No. Washington will never be an NFL winner. Yeah. But I think these guys will help you win your fantasy football leagues in 2020. I'm going with Terry McLaurin, who I have dangerously high. Same. Dangerously high in my... Uh, projections for this season he is going into his sophomore year coming back uh, returning to the offense with a sophomore quarterback among rookie wideouts last year he was fifth in yards per route run among all rookies he was third among rookies with at least five targets (laughs) so when we're we're looking at that metric you know obviously the data is going to be skewed a little bit it's a lot easier to be efficient on your targets when you only have like two of them yeah so terry mclaurin out of all these guys that got volume he was actually the the third highest in yards per route run second in targets among rookies behind only dk metcalf second in receiving yards besides aj brown and the interesting part to me so like when i look at a guy like aj brown we're looking at a a player who produced a lot of those yards after the catch which we know is not a particularly stable metric like you might be good after the catch, and that might be a part of your game, but the the level of which A.J. Brown was able to accomplish that last season was just off the charts. Off the charts. It's not sustainable. Yeah. So look at a guy like Terry McLaurin. He actually had the second fewest yards after the catch per reception among the 10 rookies with at least 50 targets. So he's not dependent on this un sustainable metric like a, a Michael Hardman or an AJ Brown who they need to re- they need to count on themselves to be able to make those plays in the same way this year. Yeah, and what you're saying with that is that for AJ Brown and Michael Hardman to increase their production that they had last year, be better fantasy players, they actually need a lot more targets than Terry McLaurin does because whatever Terry McLaurin had last year He doesn't need a ton of more targets to be successful because he wasn't depending on those yards after catch. But the yards after catch are 100% going down for A.J. Brown and Nicole Hardman because those are unsustainable numbers. Even the best wide receivers after catch don't have close to the numbers they had last year. Where is Terry McLaurin? Like, he has room to grow yeah, in that metric. Exactly. Like he, so with A.J. Brown, though, you need him to... He's going to come down to reality, so he's going to need so many targets just to get back to where he was last year, plus another, you know, handful of targets, a lot more than a handful, but you know what I'm saying, more targets to then increase what he did last year. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the thing that we have to look at... So Terry McLaurin was able to accomplish all of this with a rookie quarterback... There was definitely a low passing volume there. When Dwayne Haskins was actually starting, his 16-game pass was only for 414 passing attempts. That is not a lot. Um, You know, it's not like Dwayne Haskins looked like some rock star. He took a great selfie uh, in the stands last year. That was a a good moment for him. But (laughs) 
I, I do think that he he has room to grow. You know, he was working with uh, all rookies basically last year. He didn't have his star running back who should have been able to to help him carry that load in his rookie season. Geis wasn't there. Uh, you had Terry McLaurin, who was a rookie. You had Steven Sims, who was a rookie. Calvin Hardman, who was a rookie. Listen, it, if Haskins no even succeeds this year, he should get the MVP award because he's <laughs> working with nobody except McLaurin. Like he can, only, like he could have 400 pass attempts, and McLaurin could still get 200 targets. Like obviously, he's not going to get that high, but 150 targets should be in the realm of possibilities for McLaurin, and is probably going to happen because I'm never seen a group of receivers this terrible before. I mean, Steven Sims, I love him, but is he really a wide receiver too on a team? And that's like that's like the farthest best option they have after that. We're talking about Antonio Gandy-Golden, who they drafted in the fourth. We'll see what happens there. And then you have Trey Quinn that was so bad. Always. What about Jeremy Sprinkle? Jeremy Sprinkle. Like, they don't even have a tight end. Logan Thomas is their best tight end. Thaddeus Moss. They drafted as, or they didn't draft. He was an undrafted free agent, but they signed him um, after the draft this year. Cody Lattimore, who just got arrested on, like, five accounts of whatever. Jeez. So he's probably not going to be there. Cam Sims. There's no one else. And they got rid of Chris Thompson, who was their second lead target last year. Who is he going to pass to besides McLaurin? And this is why Sims has hype right now, and he should. Because he can be the next Jamison Crowder, who gets 120 targets for a ton of Doesn't receptions. Doesn't mean he's going to have receiving, uh, 1,000 receiving yards, exactly. but he might have 300 receptions. Yeah, he's going to be a really good PPR, solid flex player. But McLaurin can be an absolute target monster. And when you look at like the guys that are also being hyped right now, your A.J. Browns, your D.K. Metcalfs, I could easily finish or see Terry finishing ahead of AJ Brown and DK Metcalf, and he's going as the wide receiver twenty-five. Yeah, that is technically a top-tier wide receiver three. Uh, it's technically called stealing. You're stealing Terry McLaurin. Somebody call the cops because yes. this is like I have Terry McLaurin as a, a like I don't even want to say where I have him because I need to make some adjustments because this is not how I can project him fully moving forward, but I have him slated for 126 targets, and I think that's, like, being That's uh, way too low. low. I have him at, like, 145. Because who, even if Haskins throws 400 attempts, who are they going to? Like, try to put him to people. Like, he could throw 400 attempts, and McLaurin could still have 150. A quarterback's going to throw 18 touchdowns, at least, right? I mean, unless they're just the worst year of all time. They're going to throw 18 touchdowns. Ten of them will be going to Terry McLaurin. Try to tell me who these touchdowns are going to. Terry McLaurin had, what, how many touchdowns in his rookie season? Seven or eight? Uh, I believe seven. Seven. And he missed a couple games. And then Haskins only played a handful of games. So there is... Double-digit touchdowns could go to him. 150 targets. He can be... He has a massive ceiling. I'm getting really excited about him. I wanted him to be my league winner I that I like talked about, but I let you. Words. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so excited for him. It's a bad offense. It is. So we have to sometimes temper that's expectations. Good. Sometimes that is good because you do have a lot of garbage. Uh, some, I mean, like they're Blake going to have Bortles. to throw all game. Yes, Blake Bortles is like good teams are able to run. Yeah, and they are not a good team. They are a team that like beyond the the surface of just. NFL talent, they have a lot of systemic issues in their organization right now. Like, we won't even get into some recent, like, they're a mess. They are a mess. And I, I think that, um, you know, that's that's certainly a distraction. It's been an off-season distraction for them. They've been clouding the news with just awful stuff. I, I just think that they're not going to be a good team. They're not going to be an efficient team. So that is great for, for passing volume, which is great for Terry McLaurin. And he could be a top six receiver. Top, I have him as top uh, 12. Mm. But I, I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not going to fight you with top six because I love it. But I'm I just saying, top like, 12. that is his ceiling. Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely his ceiling. All right. We talked a long time about league winners. So we'll maybe make it a little bit shorter for the rest of the categories. <laughs> but do we want to get into bus? Yeah, I, I'm I'm sick of being so positive. Let's talk some trash. 
Who is your candidate for a bust for the 2020 season in the NFC East? So this one hurts, and I feel kind of bad because he's a rookie, and he probably doesn't deserve this negativity in his life. And he's a very good prospect, but we brought him up a little bit earlier in the news segment. Uh, A player might hurt, but Jalen Rager, love him as a prospect. I'm going to tell Fantasy Twitter you said this. I know. They love him very much. He's very exciting. He's a very exciting player. He's very fast. He's that deep threat, but he's very raw. His route tree is not complete. He has a lot of drops, and his production last year was super bad. Now I know he was on a terrible offense. Bad quarterback. Extremely, extremely bad quarterback, so it's not all on him. But there were other players in college that had to play on terrible offenses, had to play with garbage quarterbacks, and they still produced a lot better than Rager did. Did you know Cam Akers had a bad offensive line? (laughs) It's kind of like that situation, except I actually see the talent with Rager. Um, (laughs) No, but I'm I'm excited for him as well, but maybe not so much as a rookie, especially if he has to be the wide receiver one on a team. I think that's going to be rough right off the bat. Now, I don't actually think he will be stuck in a wide receiver one role with having to do all the targets because we have a Zach Ertz there. We have a Dallas Goddard. We have a Miles Sanders that can be used heavily in the passing game for a running back. So there's other options for Wentz to go to. Jeffrey should be healthy at some point in the season. And Deshaun Jackson, I mean, he's back for as long as who knows. But last year, week one. For like a game or two. Last year, week one was fantastic for Deshaun Jackson. And now Rager plays very similarly to Deshaun Jackson. So I think this is a great wide receiver for him to learn behind. Uh, I really love that for him uh, coming in as a rookie. Uh, It's kind of like Singletary getting to learn behind Gore last year. Now, Gore was old and not very good, but he still got to learn all the fundamentals from him. And I think that's super important because they're similar prospects in that way. And that's how Rager is to D-Jax. So I'm excited that he gets to learn behind him. I just think this year he shouldn't be drafted at least not where he's going like if you're comparing him would you draft him in the last round even yes I would just for the upside because he is in a situation that he could get targets but then at the same time when we're bringing up these guys if they're healthy or not they also added a Marquise Goodwin who's often also hurt but when he plays he's pretty good he was pretty good in San Fran he just was never healthy we're adding in JJ Arcega Whiteside second round pick last year he was Arcega Arcega Whiteside He was super bad, but he did come out and claim that he was hurt all season. I mean, what else are you going to say? You were so bad, you got to come up with something. But let's say he was... (laughs) cruel. Let's say he was actually hurt. Maybe he can come back and maybe get an inch of separation this time around. But there are other options on the team. We're looking at his average draft position. And he's going around Mike Williams, Emmanuel Sanders, going before John Brown and Golden Tate. Now, that's crazy to me. Golden Tate and John Brown, maybe they don't have that same exciting ceiling, but they're going to have a much better year than Rager in his rookie season with no off, with no off season, with no preseason games, not be able to build that connection with Wentz, and just a raw prospect. Uh, like, I think he can be like a Nicole Hardman, where you can see the talent, you can see how fast he is, you can see how he's going to be great in the NFL. It's just going to take some time. Uh Going right next to Mike Williams. He had 1,000 yards last year. I feel like people just want to ignore that Mike Williams had 1,000 yards. He went the opposite way because he had, like, what, 10 touchdowns his first year playing full and then went down to two last year. Like, let's expect that to kind of go in the middle here. So everyone that's going around him, I'd rather take a chance on than a rookie. That's just a little raw. Let's give him some time in the league to get settled, and then let's draft him in 2021. I think that's totally fair. And can I just tell you how weird it is that for the second consecutive segment, we have both chosen players on the same team. We will not do that in other segments. I hope not. (laughs) Um, We don't want to get too redundant, but uh, I'm sticking with the Philadelphia Eagles here for my pick uh, for for bust of 2020. And this is not a, a knock on this particular player. This is a knock on the draft cost okay miles sanders the talented running back of the philadelphia eagles he's being drafted as the rb8 in ppr formats rb8 yeah rb8 
He is being drafted behind Josh Jacobs, Nick Chubb, Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette. Like, all of these guys are, are players that I could absolutely picture seeing a more stable body of volume. And all of these guys, maybe aside from from Nick Chubb and, and Josh Jacobs, who, like, still catch some balls, I, like, all of, like, Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette, they have tremendous pass-catching upside. Uh, he had 15 carries in just four games last season, and I, I know we saw this uptick in work for Miles Sanders towards the second half of the season, but it took an injury to Jordan Howard to do it. It's not as though you saw this beautiful trend up in work throughout, you know, from game one all the way up to, to game 10, where he sort of assumed this workhorse role. It was like you actually saw his work decrease in those sort of midseason games. And then as soon as Jordan Howard got hurt, that is when you saw Miles Sanders explode. It, it wasn't that, you know, Doug Peterson got him more involved. He was forced to be more involved. And that that makes me anxious. I know that rookies are bound to sort of assume a, a bigger workload later on in the season regardless. But I don't know how much I can separate the timing of his breakout with Jordan Howard's injury. What, like, what, how do you feel about that? See, I'm on the exact opposite end of you here. Mm. I don't agree that Miles Sanders will be a bust. I mean, Miles Sanders was... Again, I said in relation to draft costs. Okay, he's going a little pricey, but all... RB8. All running backs that have his potential are going early. So, yeah, maybe he's RB8, but he's going around the Ecklers. He's going around the Kenyon Drakes that are all risky as well. I mean, there's only so many running backs that are pure workhorse backs that you know are going to get the role. And those are all going before him. After that, we get a lot riskier. Or we get to players like Le'Veon Bell that might get the workload, but he's not good. So it doesn't really matter. So I'll take the chance on Sanders here because he's so heavily involved in the passing game. And he's one of like two running backs that actually was targeted down the field. Everyone else had a negative average depth of target. And his was pretty deep, actually, for a running back. Him and Eckler were like the only two running backs that if you took away all of their uh, yards after the catch, they actually had positive yards. He still would have had like 80 yards, which is crazy. CMC would have had eight, and most running backs would have negative yards if you took away their yards after catch. That's just how it works for the running back position. So Sanders is really good in the passing game. He is very good in the passing game, but... We're talking about Ertz, right? He's going to have a ton of value. Because there's no one there that's going to demand targets in the wide receiver position. I think that's how it's going to be using Sanders, too, no? I I absolutely agree. But, like, when I'm looking at Miles Sanders, I see his peak as Austin Eckler last season. And I don't even expect Austin Eckler to be Austin Eckler from last season. Yeah, I but think it, you're trying to capture lightning in a bottle here. You are looking, like, if I'm looking at a running back, I understand, obviously, in PPR formats especially, um, you know, those that, that receiving ability is obviously key. But, like, Christian McCaffrey is as special as Christian McCaffrey is because he doesn't only see those targets, he also gets the carries. And I don't trust that at the RB8 price that we are going to see that same production from Miles Sanders. And that. So I think they took Sanders, though, to be a regular running back. Like, he's not an Eckler. He's not just a pass-catching specialist. He's an actually really great running back. And I think you're forgetting, he was a running back one last year coming out of college. We love Miles Sanders. I'm not forgetting And he that. wasn't known for his passing-catching ability coming out of college. So I am this not is for- just an extra thing you are get. See, you are confusing NFL talent with so fantasy situation. The only thing you're worried about is the coaching. You don't think it, they're going to yes, give him. Doug Peterson has never shown a propensity towards utilizing a workhorse back. Unless they sign a Devonta Freeman or Lamar Miller, I don't, you're not going to give Boston Scott rushing attempts. You're not going to give. In the one give, game after we they, saw Boston Scott actually break out, Miles Sanders had, what, 14 carries? And three receptions. He was injured a lot, though. Like, for a couple of those games, he that's, kept, like, getting out and in. That, that's absolutely fine. But I am I'm just saying I'm talking is, myself into Sanders more now that we talk. Like, Please draft him. So you're We're saying his ceiling is Austin Eckler last year. Austin Eckler last year, before Gordon came back, 
was fantastic. I mean, he was the running back two, right? So if that's his ceiling, then let me have a Miles Sanders there at the running back eight. We've seen the Chargers utilize a workhorse, though. Melvin Gordon has fulfilled a, a workhorse role. He wasn't there. So guess what? They found another workhorse. Where have we seen a work? Jordan Horton. Jordan Horton. Because I'm trying to say workhorse. Jordan Horton. Jordan Howard was used quite a lot before he got hurt. And what you're saying with Miles Sanders having to wait, I mean, that's every rookie behind no, a decent you, you literally bet. saw him used more earlier on in the season, and then he lost carries to Jordan Howard as the season went on. Have you looked at Jordan Howard? Jordan Howard was out for the first couple games. Okay, so you're telling me while Miles Sanders was in that starting role, he did not earn the starting role? So as soon as Jordan Howard comes back, Jordan Howard becomes the workhorse? The weird thing about vets is that they just, like at running backs, if they're above average running back, they just get the work. I mean, coaches just trust them. Okay. I'm just saying that so, we're going we're going counterintuitive to what I was wrong. Jordan Howard Jordan wasn't Howard missed- out one and two, but I think he was a bit injured. Like I think he was banged up. Um, if I if I remember correctly, he did play one, weeks one, two, and three, but I believe he was banged up. And then once and you, he came back fully healthy, he you got. saw Miles Sanders be efficient in that time span. Yeah, and you saw Jordan and Howard they- not be. He was averaging two yards per carry, three yards per carry, just because the coach is an idiot. Except that's but, my point. The coach is an idiot. But there was also a time in life where Carlos Hyde was complete garbage, and Nick Chubb, every time he got on the field, he would score an 80-yard touchdown. I think he had, like, three of them, and they still sat his butt back on the bench that's until Carlos Hyde got that traded. That is my point. But then, once he became the main back, finally, once the coaching staff was like, ooh, we should play him, he got the workload, just like Sanders. Okay. I I disagree. I think Sanders I, is a good pick. I like him. At the RB8 price? Who tell else is going around him that's any safer? I, I just named four guys that I feel are safer. Josh Jacobs, Nick Chubb, Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette. Give me all of them because they've done it before. They're going to get more volume on the ground, but they're not going to. none of those guys are going to come close to his targets besides maybe Fournette if he keeps up his target share. Yeah, he's uber inefficient through the air and on the ground. That's fine. I'm looking at the running back position. You have Chubb, who has to compete with Hunt, and then Jacobs, who doesn't get any targets. Michelle, you are talking yourself into a circle. No, I know. Volume is king. Touch volume is king. And I would bet you $50 of the money in our joint bank account that all of these four guys will average a higher touch total that's fine they can average a higher touch total we can actually go through that there's been players that have been running back duke johnson was a top 10 running back and he had like 90 carries uh james white has been a top seven running back and he had like also 90 carries the touch totals for carries don't actually matter at all especially in ppr league it's targets are king targets are king targets are king but I want to find, at, at that price, I want to find the best of both worlds. Because Todd Gurley can produce some. Then maybe game. Josh Jacobs, if he gets an increase in targets, is the best of both worlds. But the best of both worlds is not both, Chubb. The, okay, Chubb is not a PPR machine, but you said it yourself. You think he gets enough rushing volume in a Kevin Stefanski offense yeah. that it doesn't matter. So, like... You are talking out of both sides in your mouth. And I, I think- like all these running backs, but if I'm going to go for upside and not safety, I really like Miles Sanders. I know. I hate when Leonard Fournette is being drafted as the RB16 and has uh, I like RB6 Fournette. upside. But the I thing is, that. I can draft I've both Sanders these- and Fournette because I've I can seen draft all of Fournette these guys. later. Yeah, and then Sanders is your big question mark. You are drafting him at his ceiling. What's his ceiling? Right. I think his ceiling. RB8? RB1. Oh ceiling. my god! Okay. Is his ceiling. Right. With how many targets he gets, he that is his ceiling. We are running out of time, so we need to move on. Okay, let's go holy on the, Moses. Let's go on the values. These aren't as fun because they're boring guys. That's why they're valued. So mm-hmm. They're being disrespected. So we can talk about these quickly. Golden Tate, I brought it up. Jalen Rager, <laughs> rookie, is going before Golden Tate. And every time Golden Tate plays, he just performs. Uh, last year, he was suspended, weeks one through four. Uh, and then he came back, had a little bit of adjustment period. But from weeks six through 16, he averaged 14.5 PPR points per game. 
During that span, week 6 through 16, that's a long time of a season, he averaged more points than Keenan Allen, Tyler Lockett, Cooper Cup, Cortland Sutton, Tyler Boyd, OBJ, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper. Like Those are good wide receivers, and he averaged more fantasy points than those wide receivers for 11 weeks. That's a pretty good time. He couldn't average more than that before that because he wasn't playing. And he was working with a rookie quarterback. And we know wide receivers working with rookie quarterbacks are normally not good for fantasy. But guess what Golden Tate still was? And you can draft him in double-digit rounds. We can talk about Darius Slayton. Maybe he can step up and be a bigger thing next year. He's very good for his rookie season for a later round uh, drafted wide receiver. And then Sterling Shepard is what he is. He's nothing really to be scared of. And it just helps Golden Tate get more open. So, yes, he wasn't good in Philadelphia for half a season in 2018. It just seems like wide receivers aren't very good in Philadelphia, maybe. Maybe Carson Wentz isn't as good as I think he is. And then, but in uh, 2017, the last time he played a full season in Detroit, he was a wide receiver 13 in fantasy. The year before that, he was a wide receiver 17. And now he's being drafted at, like, a wide receiver 40. So... Uh, I think his upside, actually, wide receiver 55, he's being drafted. Wide receiver 55. Guys, stop disrespecting the old men. Golden Tate's going to be very (laughs) valuable to you. And if you want to go running backs early, Golden Tate is a great late round option to consider because you can plug him into your wide receiver two role and he's going to perform just fine. I I mean, I, I like it. He's seriously, seriously a great value. And if there is an injury to somebody, like if Sterling Shepard is out, which we saw that whole offense be injured last year, if, if there's more target opportunity, I don't see why he isn't a wide receiver too. Yeah. And I expect him to be the wide receiver one on his team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my guy, my, my underrated pick of the year in the NFC East is Michael Gallup. I think that... I, I'm so confused. Like, what happened to Michael Gallup? He ranked 18th in terms of fantasy points per game among wide receivers. Literally, literally. So DJ Moore, everybody's favorite top 10 wide receiver, averaged 15.4 PPR points per game. Michael Gallup, right behind him, 15.2 PPR points per game. That tied wide receiver Calvin Ridley, who is the new sexiness on fantasy Twitter. And you know what? I'm looking at a guy who he's in a stable offense. He has his quarterback. He has his running back. He's got Amari Cooper alongside of him. The biggest shift in that offense is the fact that uh, now we're looking at, you know, another weapon in terms of CeeDee Lamb, which is only good. That is only good news. Um, He's just not getting the, the respect whatsoever. He is currently being drafted as the wide receiver 32. That is nearly wide receiver four value. It's close enough. That is wide receiver three. And I just don't, I don't understand why we're not looking at this guy going into his third season. Is CeeDee Lamb a rookie who is getting a limited offseason and no preseason games? Is he really going to steal that much work? Because we saw the departure of Randall Cobb. We saw the departure of Jason Witten. I don't... What am I missing? I don't know. What am I missing? I love Michael Gallup. I have no idea why he's going so late. Stop it, When you're looking at wide receivers going earlier, I would switch their ADPs. Uh, Cortland Sutton. Like, can we switch those? I'd rather move him down to Gallup and move Gallup up. I don't... Uh, yeah, Michael Gallup's average draft position makes zero sense to me. All he does is produce when he's on the field. And it's actually amazing. So, like, when you're looking at Michael Gallup's production, he's one of 29 wide receivers to total at least 1,500 receiving yards in their first two years in the NFL since 2010. One of 29. Like, that's only a couple of guys per year that managed that feat. Um, and, and one of those guys is Michael Gallup. He hasn't even been the wide receiver one for his team and now he should only see um you know hopefully a more open field when we're looking at a metric like yards per route run which is is very predictive of you know just absolute you know efficiency on the field chris godwin's at 2.24 yards per route run michael gallup's right behind him at 2.16 and we all know how much we love chris godwin 
I just think Michael Gallup, you know, he's been he's been producing so well and he hasn't even had a high catch percentage. Like last season he had a catch rate of fifty eight percent. That's not high. Yep. Especially for a, a guy in his position. So I like the ceiling is is the only place I can see right now for Michael Gallup. At I'm not worried price. about CeeDee Lamb. We no, already saw Randall yeah, Cobb be productive in the offense. CeeDee Lamb could do the same thing and still not hurt Gallup. There's a ton to go around in that offense. So much love. So much open space, too, that they'll have. Love, Michael Gallup. Last but not least, give me your sleeper. All right, I'm going with Steven Sims from the Washington football team. We really need a name for that. We really need a name. All right, Steven Sims. He's everyone's favorite right now, I would like to say. I did bring him up about, you know, in December instead for people to pick him up. But if we want to act like Calvin Harmon changes anything, let's do it. But Steven Sims is a great sleeper. He has no one to compete against for targets. <laughs> like, it's Terry McLaurin and Steven Sims on that offense and pretty much nobody else. So Steven Sims should easily... Um, get the snaps on this offense. Trey Quinn was the main slot wide receiver last year until Steven Sims stole his job because Quinn was doing absolutely nothing. Uh, He had seven targets, um, or he did not have more than seven targets or 36 yards in any game the whole season, Trey Quinn. And he only had one touchdown all year long. (laughs) He was very, very bad. And then Trey Quinn comes in. and He does do the scarn very well. The scar. Oh, the the touchdown dance. The yeah. office. The office. Yeah. Are we really not sure what the scar is, Michelle? No, I do, but I'm just not sure our listeners know. Uh huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyways, like I said, Trey Quinn never had more than seven targets. I think there was like in like one game. Like I'm just being nice there, <laughs> and never had more than 36 yards. Only had one touchdown all year long. Uh, Steven Sims comes in, finally steals his job for the last four games of the season. And his targets were 7, 11, 10, and 8. Now, not a ton of yards came off of those, but uh, I'll take that target share and hope for his yards to come up. But he had four touchdowns during that span as well, which was very good for him. This was his PPR points uh, during this time. 8, which is nothing great. 15.5, 25, and 18. Like, for Steven Sims, it's pretty fabulous. During those four weeks, it's a small sample size, but still a quarter of the season. He was top seven in targets in the NFL, top two in touchdowns, and he was targeted on 24.4% of his routes run. That's very high. So if he runs more routes next year, which we should expect since he only really played four games, he could be a really decent fantasy player. Now, his average depth of target is just not far enough so he's never going to be a top 24 wide receiver but he can be a solid flex play that is a a PPR uh, machine kind of like a Jamison Crowder I compared him to him earlier on he has nobody to compete against like I brought up and Dwayne Haskins was a better quarterback when he had Steven Sims on the field his completion percentage touchdowns quarterback rating all went up while his interceptions went down now maybe that was just him getting better as the season went on or he just had a good connection with Steven Sims. I I absolutely love it. Um, last but not least, I'm going to talk about my sleeper here briefly. Not a ton of data to back this one up, but I think the opportunity is there, and I do think this guy's going to go undrafted in your fantasy leagues in 2020. Blake Jarwin, 2017 undrafted free agent, uh, drafted out of Oklahoma State, mostly a blocking tight end didn't have a ton of receiving production in college but he has played behind Jason Witten uh while Jason Witten has done his thing and he's been he's been solid he's been a good tight end uh just before Witten announced that he would be signing a deal with the now Las Vegas Raiders they signed Blake Jarwin to a three-year 24.25 million dollar contract which is not chump change for the tight end position you're looking at an offense that definitely is more pass heavy under Kellen Moore and you have vacated targets with Randall Cobb's absence Jason Witten's absence they had the eighth most targets to the tight end position last season and all they had really was Jason Witten Uh, Blake Jarwin very quietly had 40 targets among all players in the NFC East Blake Jarwin actually had the third lowest drop rate of any receiving asset 
that's that's pretty good. So when you're actually getting the ball in his direction, he's making contact. He had a pretty decent pro day. I'm actually not sure. I've done a little bit of digging. I don't know what it was that made him fall out of the 2017 draft, but he's been a solid asset, and I do think that they're giving him the opportunity to fill the shoes of Jason Witten in that offense, and there's plenty of opportunity. He is, um, you know, we look at a, a guy like CeeDee Lamb and sort of wonder, you know, he is elite, but what role will he have given the fact that we have no preseason games? Blake Jarwin has been in this offense since 2017. He is familiar with the team. He's familiar with the playbook. He is familiar with Dak Prescott. He's familiar with this team. So, like, why not go back to him? I have zero desire to ever do You don't need to have Blake any. Jarwin. The, the best part is. You don't need to have any desire for him. I think people, I mean, I think you're just trying to find a sleeper here because we had to. And if no. you actually needed one, it's not like Jarwin. Because we you both punt agree. The tight end position. We both agree for a tight end to break out, they need to be in an offense. They don't need to, but most of them are in offenses that are desperately in need of a pass catcher because their wide receivers are lacking or their running backs not heavily involved in passing game. Jarwin already had 40 targets oh, last year. Oh, my 40 targets, and they turned into nothing. Like, Jarwin's not going to be a thing. He's not a thing. Even late, go with Chris Herndon if you want to grab someone that actually has a chance at breaking out. That is totally fine. We have disagreed enough <laughs> for today. Um, we're Guys, we're going to head out of here. We're going to go finish our arguments off, off microphone uh, because Michelle cannot hold this view of Miles Sanders. I feel like this is causing a wedge. Um, anyway, let us know, you know what you guys think of our picks. Who do you think will shine in the NFC East? I can't wait to get out of the NFC. Yeah. I just can't. Um, maybe next week we'll do the NFC South. That's always a fun one to talk about. Lots of fantasy production there. So many elite players. The issue, yeah, they're all elite. The issues, that they're is, all elite. There's no sleepers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was going to be actually our, we were going to kick it off with the NFC South. <laughs> there were no sleepers. So I was like, I need a little bit more time to like yeah. really consider this. We but, might have to change up the episode a little bit just to talk about all those elite players and who we would take over one another maybe and then yeah. bring up some other players but anyways uh, you can find my work at Ball Blastem Ball Blast E-M, and that's on Twitter yeah you can find me Kate on Twitter at FF Ball Blast please do us a huge favor check out our new website ballblastfootball.com check out the work of our awesome team there check out the teams tab you can see all of our writers there um, information about the Red Shirts, who are so awesome. Give their podcast a listen. Uh, they will be focusing mostly on Dynasty through the 2020 season and beyond. Uh, while we're going to be more of a, a redraft-focused group, check us out on Patreon. We've got a lot of premium content on the site as well. Some betting information. Get added to our Slack chat. We've got so much cool stuff coming up. So please don't miss out on that. Subscribe. Leave us a review. Anything else, Michelle? I don't think that's it. All right. Thanks, guys, for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye, y'all. Bye.